I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's Let's go. go. What's up, girl? Girl, you know, just sitting (laughs) here in quarantine. Really? I mean, I wasn't going to violate your HIPAA like that, (laughs) Um, but since you did it yourself. For what reason are you in quarantine? I figure we might as well let the people know. Your girl got COVID. Um, I'm out here in Houston, Texas. And, uh-huh. you know, it's it's tough. I thought I was doing the right things, but I can think of a couple areas in which I let my guard down, um, okay. which is okay. which is easy to do. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I recognize that I'm, I'm very lucky to have a functioning immune system. Yeah. to have been vaccinated and boosted. So the symptoms have not been that bad. Yeah, that's what's up. Um, how, let me ask you um, from a mental standpoint, how do you feel as a physician who has acquired COVID? Like many people, I woke up with symptoms that weren't too far outside of like normal allergy type symptoms, like kind of scratchy throat, a little bit of congestion, but just a little bit more than what I could definitively say was you know, my, my usual baseline. Okay. So I went to urgent care, you know, chopped it up with the physician there who knew I was a doctor. And I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to get this back rhinovirus or, or something else. Right. Right. And then he, he called me with the results and was just like, Hey, Dr. McMullen, it's positive. <laughs> and uh, you were like, what? <laughs> I know. Right? I was ready to go back outside. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> Dang, I actually I felt bad. That was my immediate reaction. It was just like, man, I should have known better. Should have known better. Dang. Yeah. Well, I, I have to say, being in quarantine in my mom's house, um, which thankfully, like she's tested, my stepdad's tested, both of them have been negative. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole hallway smells like Lysol now. But, <laughs> you know, she's been really, really on the mom game, you know. She, you know, she, meals. Low key, low key, your mom stay on the mom game, though. She does. She does. This, these last five days have been like on 10. Okay. Okay. Catered meals, tea, coffee, water. Okay. You know, tell your your mama, I got COVID. (laughs) (laughs) COVID is not a laughing matter, but listen, this is exhausting. We are physicians who work with vulnerable populations. We work with learners. All of the emails that we are seeing while trying to be on vacation about COVID and our onboarding and our staffing and what are we going to do? It is exhausting. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, please do not mistake the levity for us not appreciating the gravity of the pandemic. However, I would be very open to Ashley's mama hooking me up with a catered meal. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but truth, truth to all of that, you know, one of the yeah. aspects of, of quarantine is having a lot of alone time to reflect and, um, recognizing like how different this could be, you know, if I had kids, if I had, you know, responsibilities that I had to cancel at the last minute, 
you know, it's, it's no fun, of course, like spending part of your vacation doing this, but, um, you know, this, this situation could have been a lot different. So I recognize that wholeheartedly. Yep. It's a lot different than being prone in an ICU. That's for sure. Amen. Amen. Oh, you know what I learned today? What's that? Um, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about Omicron. And what I learned is that when people get Delta variant, the antibodies that they form against Delta variant are not very protective against Omicron. Interesting. Um, at least this is what data is showing so far. However, the individuals who get Omicron, um, even though a lot of those people, um, you know, knock on wood uh, so far, don't seem to be quite as sick, their antibodies seem to be protective against Delta. So what that means is that even though you have been um, sitting up in this room by yourself, like a little princess, <laughs> <laughs> getting catered to, your body, you have like the bomb hybrid immunity. Like you have your two shots of your vaccine, plus your booster, plus you got this Omicron antibodies that you're forming. And then if like Delta try to show up at your house in Oakland, Mm-hmm. Your Omicron antibody is going to be like, nah, player, we ain't, we ain't here for that. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, one thing that I learned kind of similar, just from talking to some friends who've been seeing a lot more COVID outpatient than I have um, in my practice. Um, it just seems like there's a lot more replication going on in like the throat and oropharynx than in the, mm-hmm. the, the nasopharyngeal region. And that might have been why there've been so many kind of false negatives up front. Mm-hmm. One of the things that they said today that I, on the thing I was listening to talked about how it does, it doesn't do a great job of replicating in the lungs and Mm -hmm. like hanging out in the lungs, whereas the earlier variants did, which is why people got so sick and got all that scarring. Mm -hmm. But I, you know what I'm realizing? I just, I'm realizing every day when I look at Twitter or I listen to a podcast or read something, we learn something every day that is brand new about Omicron. Yeah. Okay. I know I already said I learned something, but can I tell you one other thing? Yes. Okay. I just finished listening to the audio book um, of Feeding the Soul, because that's my business, <laughs> by Tabitha Brown. Are you familiar with Tabitha of Brown? Of course. Love me some Tabitha oh, Brown. Gosh. Okay. So um, I, you know, I knew I would enjoy her book because I enjoy her in general, but I decided I would save it for the start of the year. And it was such a brilliant thing to do because I tell you it is, it's a short listen. She narrates it herself. Mm. Um, and I, and I will say, you know, um, if you are a person who, you know, believes in a higher power, it, it probably resonates with you even more. But even if you are a person who just sort of believes in the human spirit and just believes in like believes in believing, you know, mm-hmm. it is just the most positive, um, inspiring listen at the start of a year. Let me tell you what my favorite thing is. I had to write it down. Let's put it in my office. It said, gratitude is evidence that you can be trusted with God's favor. Wow. Is that not a beautiful concept? Ah, that is powerful. That that's actually a really timely recommendation. Isn't it? Yeah. Ah, you know, because Whatever you have, as fast as you get it, you can lose it. And we've seen that in COVID, right? Amen. 
I just, oh, I love that. I love that. I really, I really love that book. So here we are in 2022. The uh, Marley twist still seem to be holding tight. And you have a story for us today. I do. And I think this will be a good story to start the year off with. At least I'm hoping so. I've been thinking about this one a bit. What's the what, sis? The what is mentorship. Yeah. Okay, I got my coffee. I'm ready. (laughs) So a, a term that I'm sure resonates with you and many folks listening to this podcast, especially any folks who've been through the journey or within the journey of a career in medicine, mentorship is is crucial. I, in this time of reflection, was thinking back on who I would consider like my first mentor, or at least the most, the first, the most influential one. Okay. I met my mentor the summer after my freshman year of college. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I like about the story is that, you know, especially when folks look at me now, see certain achievements, certain status, and kind of in their mind, often like write this narrative about, oh, you must've been like a genius. You must've been so great in school, you know, all this, all this stuff that, you know, must've been. Right. And um, I'm here to tell you that was not the case. See. (laughs) In fact, I struggled a lot my first year in college you know, when I was in high school, you know, I graduated from a very big classic Texas high school. You know, I came up somewhere in the middle of the pack and made good grades in high school without really putting much effort into it. Okay. Never took a single AP class. Really? Um, really. Wow. Because there were no Black people in them. I just didn't think that that was something that we did or something that I needed to do. Nobody wow. was ever pushing me to challenge myself harder. I didn't know any physicians personally. I didn't know that that was something I might want to do in order to prepare myself. I just knew that I was going to college and I wanted to go pre-med because I'd always wanted to be a doctor. So I get to college. Those first two semesters really were like a punch in the gut. The intro science classes at at my university the kind of the colloquial term for those science classes early on were the weed out courses, Mm. you know, Mm. structured in a way either intentionally or not to really make sure people were either committed to going pre-med or not. And so you have probably like a third to 50% of the class dropping out um, Mm. by the end of those semesters. And I saw a lot of my friends dropping out, you know, I just, I, I didn't know how to study. And, you know, those, those classes just really hit me hard. They didn't come naturally to me talking about the biology of like a flower and, Mm. you know, the the neural systems of a bird song, you know, it just, Mm. it was very, it felt very foreign Mm. and it just seemed like the people who were in it and succeeding just had something that I didn't. And so by the end of my first year of college, I was very, very discouraged. Something in me didn't want to quit. I don't think my mother would have let me anyway, <laughs> but I was still just like, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. And so the first summer after college, I came back to Houston, talked to my mom. I basically just needed a job. I didn't know what to do. My mom, you know, she's a nursing manager at Texas Children's Hospital and their division of allergy and immunology. And she had a position where her and um, the other clinical nurses worked on 
several of their clinical research trials mm-hmm. um, involving uh, children and mothers with HIV. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, with anybody who does clinical research, especially with you know human beings, there's a lot of paperwork, a yeah. lot of oversight, a lot of regulation. And so she was like, well, why don't you just come um, over to the division and help some of the nurses with their paperwork? So I was like, cool. So I started doing that for a couple of weeks, really just enjoyed being in the environment. And my mom, once again, pulled me aside and was just like, you know, there is a woman in our division who's a PhD mm-hmm. and she does basic science research. And she always has these undergrad students working with her every summer. Why don't you just go talk to her? I was like, ah, okay. You know, you always take your mother's advice <laughs> with like a grain of salt. Like, right, right. you know, it can't be that easy. But I saw that, you know, the students that she worked with were students who were part of like the summer research program at Baylor College of Medicine. And I looked at the website and, you know, immediately knew like these kids are smarter than me. This is a program that I would not qualify for with my GPA or anything else. There were no achievements to my name (laughs) at that point. And so in my mind, I was like, well, maybe I can just shadow some of the other students or even offer to like wash the lab equipment or something. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I reached out and met with her in her office. This, this, this woman, I won't put her name out there, but yeah. I think she would know who she is if she were to listen to this. But she was a white woman of short stature, I'd say like maybe five feet from the Midwest, had this accent and kind of like this laid back vibe about her. And I told her, I don't know exactly what I said, but I was just like, you know, hoping to get some experience working in your lab. I can do whatever, whatever is needed. And she thinks about it for like a hot second. And then she says, okay, well, I'm going to this conference out of town for the next two days. And then she pulls out this, you don't like those three ring binders that are like six (laughs) six inches high. (laughs) Yes. Full of like information around like basic immunology, virology, just basically a textbook (laughs) in loose leaf paper. And she slides it across the desk and gives it to me. She's like, okay, read this while I'm gone. And then we'll talk when I get back. Yo. So I was just like, okay. Like she didn't say no, which is what I, my first anticipation. And then she didn't write me off to do something else. I was like, okay, cool. So I started reading this stuff and I don't know what it was, but like just the concept just clicked in ways that I didn't get in college, you know, it was just like really applicable stuff. Like I was kind of fascinated about like Mm. HIV pathology and, you know, how the immune system works. And I was just kind of like taking it all in and actually enjoying what I was reading. Mm. Mm. And so I, she gets back from this conference and she was just like, okay, why don't we start you off with your own project? Come on. Yeah. (laughs) You know, she didn't ask me for my transcripts or anything. She was just like, Mm. yeah, she gave me like a little responsibility, like kind of my own thing to take ownership of. And, you know, it just more than anything, it just gave me confidence. Mm. And so I spent the rest of the summer primarily just working her lab. She even gave me a small stipend out of her own grant. And as I like would complete one project, she'd give me like something bigger, like a little bit more responsibility every time. Mm. And I would present my results, sit with her in her office and like think through things. 
by the end of the summer, she had invited me to come back and work with her whenever I was home for like winter break or whatever. I went back to college the next semester, uh, my sophomore year, just completely renewed. Mm-hmm. My grades got much better <laughs> than they did mm-hmm. the first time. And, you know, it wasn't anything sophisticated was instilled in me. Like I didn't learn like new study habits. I think I, I cultivated those more just by lo- knowing how to think critically about things. Mm-hmm. And also what really changed was feeling like I could do this. Mm. So anytime I was home for like an extended holiday or whatever, I'd go back and work with her. And so by the next summer, I was flying. Mm. I had an even bigger project. I was teaching the other undergrad students and like grad students how to do certain techniques. I could tell that she had a lot of like confidence in me and had a lot of trust in me, which also made me feel really good. Mm. So by the time I got to the last summer of college, so between junior and senior year, I felt like I was in a position to apply for that program at Baylor, the one that I didn't think that I would get into. But what happened was another opportunity came up at my college. Someone had put forth the possibility of me getting this fellowship to do research through an institute called HHMI. And so this is an institute that provides funding for these heavy hitter labs, like these Nobel Prize winners at Harvard, Yale, like MIT, these types of campuses that I had never even like ever thought of stepping foot on. But I was torn because, you know, at this point I felt very comfortable in, in her lab. I could finally apply for this program so that I could get summer funding through them and not her paying me from her grants. And I also kind of felt like I owed it to her. Mm. And so when it was coming time to apply, I got her on the phone and I told her, I was just like, you know, I still want to apply for the Baylor program, but I'm thinking about this other opportunity. And her immediate response was, you need to do that other opportunity. You need to go. Wow. I will never forget that conversation, even though this was going on like 10 plus years ago. Right. Because I didn't expect her to say that Mm. it would have been at least in my mind (laughs) you know more advantageous for her to have a summer student who you know knows the ropes but her her immediate response was like you need to aim higher Mm. and to that day other than you know my my mother and my grandmother and nobody had ever like pushed me to do more Mm. than what I was comfortable doing Mm. At least, and particularly not in an academic way. And so I did. So I got that fellowship. I worked at a lab at Harvard, and that really catalyzed many more opportunities that helped me to get into medical school and continue down the path that I'm on now. But it started with her. I still stayed in contact with her. Like she came to my med school graduation. She actually surprised oh. me. And was the one who put the hood on me because she was joint faculty at UT at the time. Uh. You know, it really meant so much in terms of teaching me like what mentorship was. And the first thing was, you know, the ability to see someone's potential before you look at their achievements, before you look at their track record. But check it, somebody seeing somebody's potential before they see their potential. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Someone who sees something in you that you don't even see for yourself. Mm. And I haven't, I, I, I haven't really talked to her about that moment or asked her why. It's like, you know, she didn't owe my mom any favors. She, she already had 
students in her lab, she didn't have to add another one. You know, we know that, you know, having students, especially sometimes undergraduate students can also be work for you as a mentor or supervisor. Come up the works. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But for whatever reason, she, she decided to take on that responsibility. And the other thing about mentorship is sometimes letting your mentees go. Mm. Mm. That's a word right there. I mean, that's how you can actually tell when the person really wants to see you win. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've had this experience where a medical student that you've mentored, advised, whatever, comes to you with a heavy heart to let you know that they don't want to do internal medicine. Yep. And, and it's heartbreaking um, to think that you actually think that, that I don't want you to do what's best for you. Mm -hmm. Like, I I want you to succeed. I want you to win. So if you winning means you're not going to do internal medicine, like you, you do realize we need more than just internists. I mean, we, that is the best specialty, but I mean, <laughs> but, <laughs> True. but, but I just, I, I, I love that this, this person allowed you the opportunity to show what you could do in order to prove to yourself what you could do. But the other really cool thing too, in all of this is that um, the chance that she took on you and the suggestion that your mother made to you, it came at a time where you were getting ready to revise your dreams. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that we encounter people all the time who are right in the spot of getting ready to revise their dreams. How many times have we revised our own dreams um, because we just didn't really see something for ourselves, right? Or just, Absolutely. Like, how has that changed the way you mentor students and residents? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's exactly as you, as you said, although I, I would say that when, when I have mentees who choose to go to other directions or other programs, like it does break my heart, a little piece of me dies <laughs> inside, but I, I always have to approach a mentoring relationship like with that door open. It's, it's natural to want to project, you know, parts of yourself onto that person. Mm -hmm. And you really have to scale that back and just listen mm -hmm. and guide. And, and sometimes mentoring is, is also just helping folks see in themselves what they, what they can't see. And there is an unselfish component to it, right? Because mm -hmm you know, the, the biggest accolades that you can get as a mentor, oftentimes nobody's going to know it, but you and your mm -hmm. mentee. And I was just thinking um, up until my fourth year of medical school, I wanted to do um, surgery mm -hmm. um, and thought I was going to be a transplant surgeon probably, or a general surgeon. And my, my, my surgical mentor, a black woman who, you know, if she was in a prideful place, she would have just wanted me to be her like, mm -hmm. right. But in the middle of my like surgery sub eye, she, she looked at me and she's just like, yeah, you know, if you'd like to go and discharge people from the wards and give instructions and make sure people got their follow-up appointments and explain their medications to them, that's called internal medicine. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't a surgeon. If you would prefer to do that rather than be in an OR, you're an internist. Mm -hmm. and, and honestly, had she not said that to me, I would have done a surgery residency. Mm. I know I would have. I absolutely would have. And that was like a, a big step for her to take. But, um, you know, if we're out here trying to create mini me's, 
instead yes. of trying to see people win. Cause what I really want for my mentees is I want you to be as happy and as fulfilled in what you do as I do, mm. as I am every day. If that is an internal medicine or general medicine or what primary care, whatever it is, fabulous. But if that is you doing, you know, regional blocks as an anesthesiologist, God bless you. Amen. Have at it. And how can I help you win? And who do I notice in anesthesia that I can try to help sponsor you by calling? Exactly. You know, exactly. The, the last thing I'll add, you know, similarly is from a mentee standpoint, like be, be open to mentors that you don't expect. Mm. I mm. think the other tendency is to also look for folks who look like us. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you definitely need those folks for sure. But there are some incredible would-be mentors out there that y'all on the surface might not have much in common, which is Word. which was what the case was for me and, and, and this mentor. Word. But uh, deep down, you know, they they have they might have something for you that you just you did not expect. So just be open open to that. And it might not even be in a form of warm fuzzies, right? Like mm-hmm. it might not be telling you how great you are all the time and showering you with words of affirmation. It can be, I'm gonna hand you this big ass binder (laughs) to read while I'm out of town because I believe that you probably can embrace these concepts. I I, I have a feeling you'll be able to do this Mm -hmm. and that might be the end of it. So it does not mean that they are not showing up for you. Pay attention to who's paying attention, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I can't, you know, I could talk about mentorship all day. So this is like one of my favorite topics, but um, I will just add that um, a lot of times we think that um, the people that mentor us are always older than us and always, um, you know, more experienced than us. Um, But the best mentor mentee relationships go bi-directional. I learn so much from you every single week and every single time we talk. I do listen back to our podcast. I'm like, damn, Ashley be dropping them pearls. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think of you as, as somebody, you know, in my collection of, of people that mentor me through, through this, just their, their, their very existence. Mm-hmm. Um, and every single time you tell me a story, I walk away with something that's going to make me a better doctor, a better woman, and a, just a better person. So I appreciate you. Mm. as my as my little young mentor <laughs> <laughs> well sis you know you know that, that it goes without a question that um I I, I feel the, the same way and I think for me you know as, as uh as a, a, a younger professional coming up in the game um one of the, the most exciting aspects for me around mentorship is that the cultivation of a of a friendship yes. is um what makes you know, the mentoring relationship so much more sweet is let's co-create this thing. Yeah. It's not about hierarchy. It's about colleagues taking care of each other. That's a word right there. Yeah. Well, sis, I love you much. Um, Love Mahalia. And uh, let's see what this 2022 is going to do for us. I love you too. And Jules. And uh, (laughs) hope to see you on the other side of this COVID thing. For sure, for sure. <laughs> that wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. 
Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and The Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.